Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how God is gracious. Everyone say, God is gracious. This is one of the most troubling, frustrating parables in all the Gospels to me. When I read this parable, I like to start getting irritated. And you're going to see why here in just a second. So if you have your Bible, I want you to follow me. In your Bible, if you don't, go ahead and look at the screen. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is a big passage here. I'm going to read these 16 verses, and we're going to be off to the races. It says this, for the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out at about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the owner of the vineyard replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We thank you so much that your presence is here with us this evening. God, I thank you that you care for the life of every young man and every young woman in this room tonight and their family. Lord, you care for the things that we are walking through. You care for the things that we are wrestling with. You care for our hearts. And so Father, I pray that as we dive into your word this evening, as we continue to worship and as we fellowship and as we hang out with one another, that you would Bring us to a place where we can receive that you care for. Bring us to a place where we can see it. Bring us to a place where we can know that it is truth here tonight. I pray in your gracious way that you would begin to break down things that need to be broken down. And at the same time, you would begin to build things up in their place this evening. Lord, we need you to speak. Because when you speak, our lives change. The Holy Spirit, would you come? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts 
would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you can agree with that tonight, can you say amen? Do you, have you ever read scripture before and like you finish reading and you go, did I just read that correctly? Like it kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit. Like it's like, wait a minute, that didn't sound right. I've, I've had many moments where I'm, I'm like reading through these red letters and I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't just... I didn't just read that correctly. And I have to go back and I have to read it again and again and again. When I read this parable, this is something that happens to me. I'm going to give you a little, little setting of the context. So what we have is the, an owner of a vineyard. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. He said this owner of a vineyard went into the marketplace at the very beginning of the workday at 6 a.m., And he went out and he saw people standing in the marketplace and he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Come and work in my vineyard and I'll take care of your day's wages. And so they say, okay. And so he sends them into the vineyard. Then he goes back to the marketplace at 9 a.m. Three hours later, finds more people standing by. And he says, you also go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you what's right. And so they go. And he comes back at noon, at lunchtime. The people who woke up late, the people who didn't make it, they were not the early bird that got the worm. And he's looking at them at lunchtime and at three o'clock and he said, what are you guys doing standing here? Go into my vineyard and work and I'll pay you what is right. And he comes back at 5 p.m. He comes back at the end of the workday. There's only one more hour to go and still he finds people waiting in the marketplace, and he says, why have you sat here all day doing nothing? And they said, no one's hired us. And he said, all right, head into my vineyard and work for one more hour. So they head into his vineyard. At the end of the day, he tells his foreman to call them in line from the last hired to the first. And he says, I want you to pay those who were hired at the 11th hour first and those who were hired at 3 p.m., then those who were hired at noon, then those who were hired at 9 a.m., and then those who came at the very beginning of the day. So he lines them up, and the foreman begins to pay them each a denarius, a day's wages. And you're sitting there, if you're the, the first hour workers, going, oh, my goodness. He told us he was going to give us a denarius, but they only work an hour. We worked 12 hours. So if we're going to do math here, we could, like, multiply our wage times 12. That would be awesome. And he makes it to the first hour workers and he gives them the same that he gave the 11th hour worker. And all of the first hour workers are going, you've got to be kidding me. We did most of the work. We bore the heat of the day and you're going to make us equal to the one that you hired just an hour ago? And the owner of the vineyard goes, what's your problem? I gave you what I promised you. Or you, do you have a problem with me because I'm a generous person and I have the ability to give to whoever what I want, what belongs to me? He says, take your money and go. Why is this so unsatisfying is the question. Why does this, like you sit there and read this and it's like I, we can resonate with the first hour workers where we sit there and go, wait a minute, yeah, something seems a little bit wrong here. Like if you're going to be a generous owner, at least like, Be generous to the first hour workers and give them more than you promised them. But he doesn't. And I think why we can wrestle with a parable like this is, a parable like this is like a, is a direct assault on our idea of justice. 
Are you with me? On our idea of what is right and what is wrong. And hear me. We are a humanity who's passionate about what is right and what is wrong. You know why it's like, this is why it's like so satisfying. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos where it's like the celebrating too early? Right? Where like you have someone who's in this bike race and they're in like their final hundred meters and they lift their hands off the rails and they're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden someone in like the final leg just makes it right past them, right beyond the line. You know what I mean? Like we love watching stuff like that because it's like, oh, justice. Pride cometh before the fall. But you know how I know we are a people who love justice? Have you ever played a game with like fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys with fourth and fifth and sixth grade girls? And there is this deep like conviction and passion for fairness in the game, right? Like when, when I first started working here, I used to play this game at the beginning with the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders where I'd go, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna play a game where it'll be like, it can be like dodgeball or it can be like trivia, okay? And whoever wins the game, guys versus girls, okay? Here's what we're gonna do. I'll put two treasure chests on the stage, one filled with candy and like one filled with Bible verses or something like that. And here's what'll happen. When we have a winner of the game, guys or girls, the winner of the game will get to choose one of the two chests. They don't know which the candy is in, which the Bible verses is in. And here's the thing, whichever one you choose is the one that you will get and the others will get the other chest. Three weeks straight, I kid you not, the boys would win the game and choose the wrong chest. And I would have fifth grade boys after that game. We're about to like walk into worship, come up to the front. What? What? Tears. Just, just weeping, 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 saying, this isn't, it isn't fair. We won the game. The girls are terrible. I don't want a Bible verse. I want a Tootsie Roll. Like, and the sense of justice would go so deep. You know you have a sense of justice if you have siblings in this room. Isn't it so satisfying to watch your sibling get in trouble? I mean, I was raised in the generation where we got spankings. And my dad, my dad, he used, he used a broken in half fishing rod fishing rod yeah yeah it would sit above the whiteboard in our dining room where we did math where we did math and at, uh, every evening we'd walk into that room and it would always be the same like I'm sitting here Heidi's sitting across the table right here and Bethany the golden child the oldest is sitting right over here and it always begun with like my dad would give us the lesson he's like okay work on the problems he'd walk into the kitchen right to like start talking with my mom and me and Heidi would start like playing a game. It'd start out by like throwing pencils back and forth, right? Shoving our notebooks back and forth. And this is how it always began with like us having fun and the golden child going, mom, dad, Heidi and Tim aren't doing their homework. Mom and dad would throw in a reprimand and we'd look at Bethany and like she would like have that like, you know, type look. And so then it became a game of, 
oh, how can we make her suffer, right? How can we make her suffer? And so it's like we, we would start putting it, and then we'd always get to the point where my sister started crying. Then dad would come walking into the room. He'd grab the fishing rod. He'd say, Tim, put your hands on the table. Yeah, my, par- my parents didn't do it like the growing kids God's way where you went into the bedroom. He's like, no, no, put your hands on the table. And it was like public humiliation, right? Like stand here, just wounds, ow! Like, like absolute pain. I remember in high school, in high school, I, my room was down in the basement and I'm like sleeping, it's like midnight. And I wake up to this light going on outside above my window and I look out and the light goes on and I see my sister like, like sneaking out. I'm like, it's like midnight, what is she doing? And I go running upstairs and I see my, my second born sister opening the car door quietly of our first born sister, putting the car in neutral and starts pushing it down the road. She was sneaking out to meet a boy. And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there like up in, <laughs> upstairs like in the front window, like, So much joy had filled my soul. You know why? I could have been a great brother. I could have opened the door and said, Heidi, stop. You're making a bad decision. Like that would have been the good brother thing to do. But I sat there going, it will be so great watching my parents and sister freak out at knowing she just stole a car. So I wait till she gets all the way up the road. She gets in the car door, turns it on and takes off. I go walking up to my parents' door. (laughs) I'm like, mom and dad, I know I'm smiling. It's not funny, but you'll never guess what I just saw. And I'll never forget my sister like walking through the door. They call her phone, like turn around right now, come home. And she comes back home just like, and she doesn't know that I told on her. She didn't know until like a while later. You know, like, we love justice if you have siblings. And here's the thing. Normally, we'll look at justice, right, when it's like, oh, yeah, justice was served. Like, like that was right for them to get in trouble. I like seeing them suffer. But here's the thing. Here, here's, here's another way we know we like justice is we love, we love when we find those moments in life where it's, like, just right on the good side, right? Like, like, like when, you, when you actually studied really, really hard on a test, okay, you worked really hard on a test or you worked really, really hard on a research paper and you're a terrible writer, right? And you spent hours like, like investing yourself, taking the time to, to get this right and you take the test or, or, or you, you turn in the paper, you, you get the scores of your SATs back and it's like, you got a good grade. And it's like, yes. That feels indicative of the work that I put in. Or you're somebody who's like, I just shot for the moon and didn't do it and I still got a good grade. And it's like, that feels awesome. There's like, there's like something that we love when, when usually when you go to weddings nowadays and, and you're at a reception at weddings, usually they might play this game where they have all the married couples go out onto the floor and so they have everybody dancing and they're like, okay, if you've been married five years, come off the floor. If you've been married 10 years, come off the floor. If you've been married 20 years, come off the floor. And every now and then you come to like that, that like, old, like, like up married couple, you know? Like, oh, I know, that's so sad. Like, like, but it's like, oh, it's just like so perfect. And it's like, how long have you guys been married? And they're like, 
65 years. And you're like, there's, there's something right about like the room erupting in applause for a married couple who's like gone the distance. I remember nine years ago, I had just moved back from Texas and I made it back here in time for my father's retirement ceremony from, from the Air Force. And I showed up to his retirement ceremony and, and my, my dad is standing there after serving 31 and a half years in the Air Force. And he's standing there in his blues, all down up, and I've seen, I've seen my father cry like I could count it on one hand. The amount of times I've watched my father cry in my lifetime. And I remember standing there at his ceremony and, and they had all of these like beautiful things. They had, they had people getting up and giving speeches and all that, all that sort of deal. But there's this tradition in the Air Force at a retirement ceremony where you'll have, you'll have someone get up and you'll have, if there's if they're someone who was like in command, in charge, you'll have their flight, their troops. They're at the ceremony and so have, they'll have all their troops stand up. And so all my father's troops stood up and they stood in a line. And my father stood up and they had one of the airmen get up and they read this poem called The Watch, where it's saying, okay, Senior Master Sergeant Shepard, you have stood the watch for 31 and a half years. You have stood and you have watched and you have taken care of your people and if you've made sure that our men and our women and our children can sleep well at night, you have made sure that this country can sleep in peace, you have taken care of this country. And at the end of this poem, they say, Senior Master Sergeant Shepard, we're here to tell you today that your assignment is relieved. You no longer need to stand the watch. And you have all of his airmen standing right there, giving him salute, and my father in tears. And I'll never forget sitting at that ceremony going, man, that is right. It's right for a moment like this to happen after somebody gives up time with their family, after someone spends their life sacrificing themselves, after someone gives their life going overseas to live on the battlefront while their family is back. I'm like, this, this is an appropriate ceremony for someone spending their life after 30 years, three decades. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine if they would take a 19-year-old airman right out of basic training, like, like just, they just learned how to do push-ups, and they stood an airman in front of a troop, and they had an entire troop get up and stand in front of this airman, and they did a ceremony like that for a 19-year-old active-duty person right out of basic. You know how weird that would feel? It's like, you haven't earned this yet. It's like, you haven't, you haven't taken an assignment yet. You, 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 haven't, you haven't spent your life. Like, that's got to be earned. And here's the thing. What Jesus is doing right here in this parable is he's taking what we think is right. And he's beginning to turn it on its head. And he's saying, actually, the kingdom of heaven is just a little bit different. I'm going to take your idea of right and wrong. I'm going to take your idea of justice. And here's the thing. I'm not going to make you disregard it. I'm just going to redefine it for you. Are you with me? 
And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's going, I, I want you to have a, a more well-rounded idea of what justice looks like in my kingdom because in my kingdom, justice doesn't just look like retribution. Like we have this idea where it's like, okay, like, like, like Jesus needs to deal out the heavy hand and we look, look at the world around us and go like, man, like, like justice just like needs to be served and, and needs to be like made right. And like, we need to take care of all the people who are just walking away from the way or all the people who are living their lives filled with sin. Like justice needs to be served. And what Jesus is getting at here is he's going, look, look, justice is not just retribution. But in fact, it is also restoration. In fact, justice finds its fulfillment in restoration. Are you with me? This is what I mean by that, is that justice isn't just God dealing punishment. We know that actually is a part of justice. How do we know that? Because a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated and we remembered the death of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is how we know God doesn't just sweep evil under the rug. When people go, why doesn't God do anything about the evil in the world? We have an answer in scripture. He does everything about the evil in the world. What does he do with it? Is he pours out his wrath towards it on his son on the cross. Are you with me? Justice does deal with retribution, but it doesn't just end there. The biblical understanding of justice is God restoring things back to how they should be. Are you with me? And here's the thing, that process of restoration isn't something that can be earned. And here's the thing, when we look at scripture, we see a lot of case scenarios of these 11th hour workers that we're looking at this parable, like people who don't deserve a day's wage, people who don't deserve what the owner gives. We see them all throughout scripture. If you go back to Genesis, we find this, this story of this Egyptian slave named Hagar. Right? Like she's, she's this slave of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah have gotten impatient about like having a child. They don't think God's going to fulfill their promise. So Sarah says, you know what? Like, like, let's just try to take this into our own hands. Why don't you just take my slave and have a child with her? And Abraham, being just such a great husband, goes, okay. And so he has a child with this Egyptian slave. And then Sarah looks at this woman and begins to have contempt towards her. She begins to, to, to not be able to stand her, so she begins to start to treat her poorly, and so Hagar flees. And what we find in Genesis is, is this Egyptian slave, pregnant, this young pregnant mother, fleeing out into the wilderness. She finds herself in this little oasis, wanting to come to the end of herself. And you know what happens? God meets her there. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to, what your line is going to multiply like the sand on the seashore as well. And you know what Hagar says to God? She gives him the first name that we see a human being give God in scripture. She says, you are Elroy or Elroy, the God who sees me. We know God's in the business of like connecting with 11th hour people who are, who have no, no ability, do not deserve God's affection, God's love. Think about Zacchaeus in the New Testament. We have this tax collector, a short tax collector, mind you, 
Here's the word of Jesus. And this is someone who, who represents betrayal to the nation of Israel. And Jesus is walking by and Zacchaeus is up in a sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus walking by. And Jesus walks by and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, you, for I'm, thank you, Prem. Prem's always got my back. You guys don't know that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was, okay, we're not going to finish. All right. Like, so he takes this tax collector to his, like Jesus has no business going to a tax collector's house. And what does he do? All of a sudden, one encounter with the Messiah. And all of a sudden, this tax collector's life is turned around and he says, you know what I'm going to do? Anybody that I've robbed or done poorly to, I'm going to pay them back fourfold what I took from them. I've experienced generosity with the God of the universe. Therefore, I'm going to be generous myself. I mean, think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. I mean, this guy's about to die. He's about to die. I mean, like he's, he's at the end of his life. Like he's, he's, he's actually, it's actually just for him to be on that cross. He's done something wrong. He's, he's, he's broken the law like, like thief on a cross. That's like the name we have for him is thief. He's identified by his sin on the cross. Looks at Jesus. He's like, oh my goodness. I, I, like realizing he is next to the son of God. You know what Jesus' words to him were? Son, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about Saul before he's the Apostle Paul, a man who is literally persecuting and murdering the people of God, a murderer. And what does God do? Paul ne Saul never asked to be like blinded by a light on his way to Damascus. And yet God steps in and he blinds him and he speaks his own creation and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And God takes the life of this Pharisee, this religious, upright, first hour worker type man, and he turns his life around as a man who understands the grace and mercy of God. Friends, justice is not just retribution, it's restoration. Are you with me? It's restoring things to as they should have been. Think about Genesis 1 and 2. Going back to the garden, if you're, if you're new here in church, like, like, you know that there wasn't like this like, like, like pre-creation primordial pecking order where God was like, all right, who's going to be good enough to be the first man and the first woman that I'm going to make? And he's like, Adam, you're looking chiseled, my man. I choose you. Life for the first man and first woman was a gift. Are you with me? It was a gift. Adam and Eve didn't choose to have life. They were what? Given life. You think back to Genesis 1 and to Genesis 2, what we have there is the first human beings shown a picture of life as a gift. 
And this is what Jesus is saying here with this parable. Can we put this next slide on the screen? The kingdom of God is for those who see their citizenship as what? A gift, not a wage. You with me? So this is what Jesus is beginning to, to turn the tables here in this parable. He goes, I know that you think what is right and what is wrong is based upon what people should earn. And I know that the way you want to see the world is through the lens of right and wrong. And you want things to be right. You want things to be satisfying. He's like, but I need you to understand something. In order for things to be right in my world, in order for things to be right in the kingdom of heaven, life has to be a gift, not a wage. You can't earn your way in my kingdom. You have to be given a spot in my kingdom. Are you with me? In the kingdom of God, justice has to be reconciled with the gift of grace. And this is why these first hour workers begin to have a hard time in this parable. It's because they're going, wait a minute. Wait a minute, we've earned more. They think very, very highly of themselves. They go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You hired them only 60 minutes ago. They just showed up and they picked three weeds. That's not fair. Like we, we tilled the ground. We bore the heat of the day and we don't have sunscreen, right? Like they're like, this, this is our, like, look at our garments. Vineyard owner, we're drenched in sweat. Can't you see like we've put forth effort and you're, you're telling us that you're going to make equal with us. Those who have walked out here for 60 minutes and the vineyard owner's going, you've missed it. You've missed it. What I own doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. And because it belongs to me, I have the right to give it whomever I want to. I have the right. I have the right. I have the right. God's the only one who can save you. I have the right to give it to whomever I want to. And so here is the question before us tonight. What is it? What is it in our lives that hinder, that hinder our ability to see God's grace as a gift and not a wage. Are you with me? Like what, what, what are the things we do that make us begin to feel like we have a right to what's coming to us? Two things that I wanna tell you and then two things that I wanna tell you help. The first thing is this, is that we are too confident in our own efforts. We feel really, really good about ourselves. I want you to look at this parable here in Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. That's the first one that we have here, right? Luke chapter 18. Do we have it, Mr. Andre? My man, my man. Look at this, look at this parable here. I'm gonna turn around and read it like this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went into the temple, the place to meet God, to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not like a robber or an evildoer or adulterers or even like this tax collector who's here at the temple. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Pay attention here. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What are one of the things that hinder us from seeing God's grace as a gift is we're too confident in what we bring to the table. Are you with me? What he's saying here is he's going, look, if you're walking into my house feeling like you're all that in a bag of chips, you grew up in a Christian home, you gave your life to the Lord at a young age, you got it all together, you memorized the Ten Commandments and some, you've watched every episode of The Chosen twice. Right? Like, like you're getting it down. Like you're, you're doing everything right. And he's like, if you think that's what gives you favor in my kingdom, you've missed it. You've missed it. He's like, that's not what my kingdom's like. Now hear me. I'm not here to condemn any of those things. Go ahead and watch The Chosen three times over if you want to. Just read scripture more. What I'm telling you is Jesus is going, that's not the credibility to receive generosity in my kingdom. So what, what is it going to look like? Who, who are the people who are going to receive life in my kingdom? Pay attention. The ones who understand that they are in need. Are you with me? The ones who understand that in fact, no matter how good their life is, no matter how well they got it together, no matter how good they're knocking it down every single day at being in the scriptures and praying and connecting with the church and serving in the church and, and, and following Jesus to the best of their ability, it doesn't matter how well you feel you're knocking it down. What you have in Christ is not something that is earned. It's given. What hinders us from being able to see God's grace as a gift and not a wage is we are too confident in ourselves. But here's the second thing, and this one is huge, is that we are looking at others and not at Jesus. We're looking at others and not at Jesus. I mean, look at the thing about this Pharisee. He's not looking up to heaven. He's looking at the man to his left and saying, at least I'm not that bad. At least my life is a little bit more put together. There's another parable that Jesus gives in the scriptures that might possibly be one of the most popular parables of all time. It's the story of the prodigal son, you know it? You know, where a father, he has two sons, right? A younger and an older. And the younger comes to the father and says, look, I want you to give me all my inheritance now. I don't want to be your son anymore. I want to do my own thing. And so the father gives him his half of the inheritance and the Younger son goes off into a far off country and he squanders his wealth on prostitutes and wild living. He does what he wants to do. And when he comes to the end of himself and as he's, he's trying to eat the food that pigs are eating, he goes, you know what? This life is awful. I mean, 
Do I remember back when I was a son in my father's house? I mean, even my father's servants ate better than this, had a better quality of life than this. So he begins to tell himself, you know what? I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna repent to my father. And I'm just gonna see maybe if I could live as a servant in his household. And while the younger son was still a long way off, the father sees him and he runs to him and he embraces him. He puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger, reinstated as a son of his father. And he puts shoes on his feet. And he, he goes, we're going to have a really good, well-cooked steak tonight for you. Right? Like he's like, this, kill the fattened calf. It's time to throw a party. I need you to invite everybody because here's the thing. Like, like my son is, is here. He was lost and now he is found. And all of a sudden they begin to throw this party. But that's not the end of the story. We know that there's the perspective of the older son. Let me pick it up right here in verse 28. It says, then the older brother, brother, when he heard that there was a party going on in the house and that his younger brother had returned, this was his response. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But the older son said to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Pay attention here in verse 30. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fat cow. Who is the older brother focused on? Who's he focused on? Not himself. He's focused on the younger brother. He's not looking at the father. He's looking at his younger brother and he's going, can't you see my life compared to his life? I never disobeyed you. I stayed right here. I didn't go live my life with prostitutes, and yet you won't give me a goat. Like what the father says. My son, you are always with me in what? Everything I have is yours. But don't you understand, this is what justice looks like. My son who was lost, he's been restored and he's come back home. So what do we do in response to actual justice? We celebrate and we be glad. Because this, your brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Justice is not just retribution. It's restoration. And restoration isn't something that can be earned. It's a gift from God. Can I get the worship team back up here, please? It's a gift from God. Two things that hinder our ability to see God's grace as a gift and it makes us see it as a wage is we're too confident in our own strength. We're too confident in our own efforts. We actually think we have something good to bring to the table. And you know what makes us think we have something good to bring to the table? Is we're comparing it to whoever else is bringing something to the table. We're looking at others and we're not looking at Jesus. So then the question is, what helps us see God's grace as a gift? Two simple words that I want you to walk away with this evening. Truth and gratitude. 
truth and gratitude. What is the truth? Can I give you a newsflash? No one in this room is a first hour worker. No one in this room, I don't care if you were born in a Christian home. I don't care if you gave your life to Jesus when you were two years old. I don't care if you've memorized the whole book of the Bible from front to back. I don't care like if you've, if you've been following Jesus literally your entire life. You're not a first hour worker. You're not a third hour worker. You're not a sixth hour worker. You're not a 3 p.m. ninth hour worker. And in fact, you're not even an 11th hour worker. Pay attention here. You wanna know why you weren't a worker? Check out what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. He says, and you were what? You can't work if you're dead. You got nothing to bring to the table if you're dead. Come on, right? Like, like you got no righteous deeds as a dead person. You got no strength as a dead person. You got nothing. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, you weren't even in the marketplace showing up looking for something. You wanted to live your own life. I wanted to live my own life. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But hop ahead to verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? This, when I'm, tell, when I, I, when I'm talking to somebody who's feeling awesome about themselves, I'm like, have you ever read this? They're like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I've been knocking it down. I'm doing all that. But, but have you ever read this? Don't you understand that what you have in Christ is not something that you earned. It was something that was given. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, before the foundation of the world, God looked at you dead in your trespass and said, I'm going to give them away life. I got you, buddy. I'm going to give them away. And here's the thing, they won't be able to earn it. This is where it all starts with truth. You were dead and in your trespasses and sin, but God being rich in mercy. In other words, God giving you something that you did not deserve because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, what did he do? <laughs> this is where Christianity gets so much fun because nobody is awesome, but Jesus is, right? Like if, if you walked in tonight and you're like, pastor, you don't know me. Like I was your sister. I'm sneaking out and I'm hooking up. I'm, I'm meeting with my shoddy tonight. Like that's the plan. You're like, this, this religion is not for me. Like, like you don't understand, I don't got my life together. My parents, they're divorced. They hate God. If you heard the things said in my home, you have no idea like what you would think. You would think I'm like the worst of the worst. I got good news for you. 
Jesus makes us alive. The condition of the gospel is not that you got something good to bring to the table. It's that you receive the one who set the table. That is our good news. He made us alive together with Christ. So what? It is by what? You know, you can translate that. It is by a gift you have been saved. It is by something you have not earned. Whether you're a first hour worker, you got life together right now and you're here at youth group tonight, like feeling like all that in a bag of chips, or you're here tonight and you are at the end of your rope. Listen to me. The only way, the only, only way we get to enter in to the kingdom of God. The only way that we get to enjoy what God has for us in the kingdom. The only way that we get to live with Jesus for eternity is if God makes us alive through Christ and we receive his gift. Can you stand with me? Jake, can we bring the lights down? (coughs) I'm about to choke from yelling. (coughs) Oh my goodness. I feel like I could do a hundred burpees right now. Do me a favor and bow your head. Here's the thing. The kingdom doesn't work. And the reason why it won't work for people who believe that justice is just retribution is because in retribution, there is no space for generosity. And what God wants to inform us is he's saying, look, my kingdom is a place where I give. I give to the least of these, where everybody is welcome at the table and no one here has more of a right to be at the table than another. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your economic status, doesn't matter what type of home you were born into, doesn't matter what type of life you're living right now, the invitation of the gospel is that God is rich in mercy. I guarantee you and I promise you that there is no sin here in this room that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. What's the condition? That we see ourselves as men and women in need of a savior, no matter where you stand, in need, bow your head. Oh, that God would do this with us tonight, that he'd do it with us yet again, that you could ask God to show you that you are in need. That you are in need. 
And so this is what I wanna do as we head into this one more worship song this evening. I, I just wanna invite you, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer. Like maybe you're here this evening and like God's doing a work in you right now. Maybe you're seeing for the first time that in fact maybe this gospel, this Christianity thing could be for you even though your life is a mess. Oh, and hear me, that's God bringing you to a place where you can receive it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, man, I thought like I was doing well and like I'm pretty good and like, like the, I was just kind of mailing it in and all of a sudden you're realizing that all your accolades and what you're doing well, it doesn't amount to anything in the kingdom. But what does is you receiving the gift of the finished work of Jesus Christ or anyone in between. This is what I wanna invite you to do. Heads bowed, Jake, can you bring the lights down a bit lower? I wanna invite you to pray this prayer this evening. It's really simple. Between you and the Lord right now, head bowed, don't talk to your friend. Between you and the Lord right now, I want you to, I want you to just begin to pray this prayer. God, show me that I need you. Yeah. Show me that I need you. I don't want to see myself as a first hour, a third hour, a, a sixth or a ninth hour, an eleventh hour. I want to see myself as someone who is dead in my trespasses. But because you who was rich in mercy made me alive in Christ, I want to be thankful. I want to recognize my need for you yet again here this evening and cry out for help. God save me a sinner. As we enter into worship here, I want to invite you, just pray that over and over and over again and watch God change your life. Watch him liberate you from addiction. Watch him remove the burden of performance on your life because that's what our God does. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come as we pray this prayer over the next five minutes, as we worship you, would you show us, Lord, that we are sons, we are daughters in need of you.